please turn. Please turn. Please turn. There it is. Please turn to hymn number 575. You'll understand why in a little bit. But we're going to start with this, and uh, if you fall asleep, then enjoy the rest of your day. 575, let's remain seated, and we'll sing the first verse. Now, while your finger is still there, would you please turn to page five in the front of the hymn book? And on page five and six, we have the, the church year calendar, which can seem a little bit mysterious and a little bit odd. It's different from our, uh, the other calendars that we use. But if you think about your own life, you're probably keeping three or four calendars at the same time. You have the civic calendar, so you know what day of the week it is and things like that. You probably have a calendar book or computer with all of the appointments that you have for various days. You probably also have a list of family events on a different calendar, in your head at least. And if you're smart, you'll remember those. Those of you that are going to get married someday, gentlemen, please remember your anniversary. <laughs> Was it the 30th or the 31st? How can you not remember? Uh, but you do. What we have in the church here are, like in your life, various calendars functioning at the same time. 
I like to explain it like a sandwich, a sandwich with three slices in it, maybe a kale and peanut butter and cabbage. That's a good sandwich. Um, but in a church year sandwich, we have three things going all the time. One of them is the calendar that's associated with Easter. Easter is always on a Sunday, but it moves every year, doesn't it? The date changes. That's because it's based on what solar object? It's based on the moon, just as the old Passover was, based on the moon. So it moves around. Then we have Christmas, which is hardly ever on a Sunday, but it's always on December 25th. That particular calendar is based on the sun, the solar movements. And so those two things are always functioning in tandem. And as the year goes on, we will have festivals that relate to Christmas that are assigned specific dates, festivals that are related to Easter that are not assigned specific dates. Pentecost, always also on a Sunday, but it moves. Ascension Day, always on a Thursday, but it moves because it's related to Easter. The Christmas festivals, the Annunciation, March 25th, because it's based on Christmas. Uh, the presentation of Christ in the temple, uh, February 2nd. So they are firm dates. Got that? Now, there's a third slice to the sandwich, and this is what we call the sanctoral cycle, the cycle of the saints. In the early church, very early on, it became, it became the custom to commemorate people who had died in the faith on the day of their heavenly birthday, which was the day they died. And the remembrances continued, and they kind of mounted up. You can imagine, over the centuries, the, the, the memorials got larger and lists got longer and longer and longer, and somebody, somebody died, some saint died on this day, somebody was martyred on this day. The list went on and on and on, and eventually that calendar got quite large and quite messy. And you see in our list of the church year, we have those italicized dates, we sometimes refer to them as minor festivals, which is, I mean, it works, but it's, it's just, it's the cycle of the saints. Uh, and uh, if you go on any, any kind of wiki site where you, where you ask about what saints' day is today, you're going to find a whole list of saints for that day. Now, not at first, but eventually, uh, saints, you didn't become a saint unless there were some really miraculous things that you did. Uh, and and that, was, that was later. In the early centuries, not so much. The days were remembered. Um, in fact, they were remembered with people gathering in the cemeteries. Sometimes by candlelight, sometimes the whole family would get together and bring a picnic lunch and sit there at the graveside on the day of the death and celebrate the life of the person. It's a very interesting custom. In fact, it was, it was something that the Christians did that others didn't. And, and when Christians were under persecution, that gathering in the cemetery was deemed illegal. So you couldn't go and have your uh, Memorial Day picnic there anymore. Today, November 17th in the calendar, and I never ever thought I'd have a reason to talk to the group in this room about St. Elizabeth of Hungary. Never really crossed my mind that that would. But anyway, here we are. November 17th. In the year 1231, a woman by the name of Elizabeth died. She was 24 years old. And, yeah, she's not on the list in the hymn book. She's, uh, she's not on that list. Uh, 
She was born in 1207, 1207. Now, this is the thing about some of these stories about the saints, is that many of them are based in fact. We know when she was born, we know when she died. And there are interesting stories along the way that, uh, that uh, pop up. Anyway, uh, she was born near the town or the city of Bratislava, which is about maybe 100 miles northeast of Vienna, Austria. It's, it's still there. That's where she was born. And in those days, of course, with the various uh, families that had power throughout uh, the European system, uh, she was betrothed almost like as soon as she was born. So when she was four years old, think of this, four years old, she was taken uh, north to a part of Germany that was called, that we still, we call it Thuringia today, and uh, she was dropped off at this little place called the Wartburg, the Wartburg Castle. And uh, it was cold and it was drafty, and she was four. Uh, she was four. And her uh, husband-to-be also lived there. He was just a couple of years older than her. The two of them grew up together, kind of like, well, brother-sister slash best friends. Can you imagine? them out there playing in the yard, and then all of a sudden, at some point in their lives, some servant or some important person came and told them, um, you know, you guys are going to get married, and you're going to be husband and wife. They were not related, so there's nothing creepy about it that way. They were not related. And uh, the uh, man she married, his name was Louise or Ludwig, and uh, she was 14 then. So they had a good 10 years to get to know one another. Uh, and that, that age for marriage in those days was probably not that unusual. To us, it sounds really, really not like a good idea. Uh, but in those days, that happened a lot. So they were married. She had a reputation, um, and he did too. They were both very pious, faithful Christian people, involved in their prayer life and a regular attendance at Mass and all of the things that you would do if you were a pious Christian in those days. Um, she had a little problem, though. She sort of was an anti-kleptomaniac. Well, she did actually take things and give them away. She was just fixated. Already at an early age, she was fixated on those who had less than she had. So she'd do things like she'd go on a, on a walk out and there'd be beggars in front of the castle or something like that, and she'd you know, take her cape off and say, here, take this and go. And that, that continued for years and years to the point where her husband actually, who was also, again, very young, got kind of frustrated with this whole deal. You just, Elizabeth, you can't give everything away all the time. Uh, but it, that did not slow her down. One of the great stories, and, and of course it is a legend, is that um, one night she allowed a, a leper to come in and, and sleep in their, their bed because she felt sorry for him. And how the legend unfolds, of course, is that her husband, who again was very young, what are you doing, Elizabeth? Why is this leper sleeping in our bed? She said, well, because we see Christ in the poor and the needy, right? We heard about that yesterday. We've heard about that, uh, this judgment time. Um, and here's the miracle story. Take it or leave it. And so Ludwig looks at the leper in the bed, and he sees blood coming out of his hands, out of his side, and out of his feet. So he sees Christ in the bed. And, which, of course, we're supposed to see Christ in the poor and needy, aren't we? So there's a, there's a truth behind that story, even if there isn't fact. Well, Ludwig, again, 
because being part of the various royal families of, 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 the, of the German kingdom, he signs up for one of the Crusades. Just they, That wasn't a good idea in any case. Uh, he never made it to the Holy Land because somewhere along the line he developed a cough that turned into the plague and he died. He was 20 years old. So here she is back at home giving away all of the furniture and the clothing. She had three kids too by that time. So you can figure out how quickly that all happened. Uh, again, which was not unusual in those days. And uh, uh, so then she's a widow. And uh, eventually she leaves the Wartburg. She's not really welcome there anymore, and it doesn't fulfill what she considers her life vocation to be, which was to help people, to help the poor, to help the needy, to help the sick. So she moves away to another place in Germany and submits herself to a religious order, which was quite severe. Uh, and the, that particular religious order asked her. And see, here's the, the deal about vocation sometimes. We, we think some things are better and more important than others. And so her service as, uh, well, she was not going to be a nun, but her service to the church and to the poor was more important to her than her service as a mother to her children. So she said, she was told she had to release the children in order to do, to pursue her career, her vocation as a religious. And... Uh, that's just really unfortunate. Anyway, she was 24 years old when she died on November 17th. And uh, uh, Elizabeth of Hungary, uh, we don't in the Lutheran Church talk so much about patron saints that we, for various vocations and situations that we pray to or hope intercede for us. But anyway, Elizabeth is the patron saint of hospitals, those who work in hospitals, and especially of nurses. So nursing people, get out there and get your little prayer card and keep it in your pocket for St. Elizabeth of Hungary. Now I'd like you to turn to hymn 529. And even without the miracle stories, one of the things we, we, we think about as we contemplate the lives of those who have gone before us in the faith is that... Um, they have frequently been asked, <clears throat> excuse me, to make choices in life because of their uh, because of their faith. And hymn 529, which goes with that scary, wonderful Norwegian melody that we just practiced, we are now going to stand and sing. And while we're doing this, think of Elizabeth. Think of all of the others in the faith who have have gone forward uh, to paradise, um, not because of what they have done but because of what Christ has done for them, of course, as the, the king of angels and the prince of the saints. 529, please stand.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us and bless us now and forever. Amen.